Hello, and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we're honored to welcome Z Reese to the show. Welcome, Z. Welcome, Z. Thanks for having me. And just going off your email signature, you might have the the most dignified kind of, you know, like, like, like name it. You're, you're the Senior Director of the Office of Institutional Assessment, Research, and Planning, an accreditation yep. liaison officer, yep. and a grants officer. So, like, I, I feel like the Good Burger meme. It's like, I know some of these words, but in terms <laughs> of, like, the, the nuts and bolts and meat and potatoes of what that all entails, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but it's probably even more than that. They even add a data protection officer onto it as well. Holy cow. Oh. <laughs> protection? <laughs> data, data protection? Protection. Data protection officer. Like, yeah, that's that's a just that in and of itself would be like a mountain, you know, like a lot, a lot. Yeah, I think that one that one's mostly just for the EU regulations. You got to specify someone oh, the, who's responsible the, for that. The GDRP yeah. stuff. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, they keep me busy. Got to protect. Got to protect that data, man. Heck yeah, that data is yeah, valuable. Ter- when I think of IARP, I always think of it as IR, but IARP. When I think of that office, data is probably the first word that comes to mind. And in terms of when you talk to anybody in the world, probably everyone's always like, oh, yeah, we always respect the data, this and that with the data, 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 data. So in terms of what you do with this data, how you gather, can you just go into that process a little bit where that data comes from, what that data serves? I mean, just pretty much everything, I imagine. And, yeah. and, and your role in the process, just just a little bit, because it is something where I know it's the data office. But beyond that, in terms of the how the sausage is made, I don't know that much about it besides Tableau. Yeah. So. So first, we got to give major props to administrative systems, all of our IT developers. Those are the folks who really steward the data. They're the ones who kind of keep track of it in Banner, make sure that they're doing the integrity checks in there, and make that data available to my team. So without them, we'd be nowhere. Um, So they do a whole lot of magic kind of making sure that that data is available. They essentially get it into a nice table format, looks something like an Excel spreadsheet. And then from there, my team can work with it. Um, we also have a senior data research warehouse specialist. It's a long title. Anyways, Jordan Morris. And he helps us kind of manage all of our data needs that, through that. So kind of IT gets it to him and then he kind of helps oversee it through us. Once we got that data there, uh, then it's kind of gets used in a whole variety of ways. So probably some of the more popular areas or where you see it most regularly is gonna be in all of our plans. So our student equity plan and our kind of distance ed plan, as well as as we move into our ed master plan. That's really what a lot of this stuff does is it helps us give a good idea of where we're at right now. And when we say data, what we're really talking about is information. We're talking about really what information do we have about our student and our college and how can we use that information to make it better one day after another, one semester after another, one year after another. Because that's the nice thing about education. There's not an end point. We've got our whole careers to make sure that education continuously gets better term after term after term after term. And that's really what we try to do with uh, inside of my wonderful acronym, IARP, IARP. Sounds kind of like a burp <laughs> or a frog or something. I don't know. IARP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we try to do is just make sure that that information is available to folks so that they can start to have a real well-founded understanding of either where their department's at, where their program's at, or where their teaching's at as an instructor and they're working with their students. So we're trying to make sure that people have that data available to them, that information available to them, so that they can make really good decisions about how they want to move forward. Do they feel like what's working is working and can we show that it is working? 
Or are there parts of it that aren't working so well and we really need to change it up and rethink how we're doing things? Um, and that's, you know, that's the big push from our office, especially as we start to kind of move into equity and really start to try to think and rethink how we do that. Because we've been doing equity work for a long time. But when you look at our data, it doesn't have the types of changes that we really want to see as we engage in that work. So that's probably one of the first and foremost areas that we do is try to provide information that helps the college understand where we're at with providing equitable access and success to our students to higher education. So I don't know. Did I hit all of your questions, Hong? Yes. Yes. For the most part, I'm curious though, do you also help with the analysis of the data as well? Because I know that everybody wants the data. Everyone wants to get their hands on the data, but not a lot of folks really want to engage with the data, so to speak, beyond like, bar graph go up, bar graph go down, pie chart is big, pie chart is small. Is there anything you can do to help them? Or is it just kind of the, the, what they have is what they have to work with and you just provide the info for them? Oh, it's a little bit of both. So we've kind of, we're moving out of the era where we were just a data vending machine, you know, provide me lunch and out comes your data uh, into kind of more of that analysis where we're trying to say, okay, look at your data and let us walk through it with you. Let's think through what these numbers mean, because we got people on our campus from all sorts of backgrounds. And a lot of those backgrounds don't include any sort of statistical and analysis, or if they did, it was in like one class back 20 years ago. And who can remember all that stuff? So yeah, we got uh, myself and then two other members on my team, Melanie Rogers and Nicole Oldendick, who are really specialized in looking at this data, looking at this information, and then pulling out what is the meaning of this? How should we interpret that? How should we understand that information? So yeah, absolutely. It's, that's the fun part. A lot of what we do is just provide data. You never get that time to sit down, look at it and digest it and be like, what did I just learn today from this data? So the fun part is when we get to help you all with the analysis and saying, what did you learn from this data? Is this what you got? Okay, do you understand it? What do you wanna do differently? What do you wanna change? How do you wanna make your area better? And in terms of where all that data is coming from, are you getting, mo I mean, is it coming more mostly from like interactive sources, like folks taking surveys, or is it kind of baked into some process, like the application process captures their kind of demographic data and stuff like, is it, is it kind of a little bit of both of that as well? Are you doing, is it like active data collection or is it more passive where you're getting that data from existing kind of pieces of the, of the campus puzzle already? Like 90% of it comes out of our student information system banner. Um, and that's kind of all the information that, you know, many of you folks listening to might be inputting into banner, whether a student met their counseling appointment, where they're at with their registration process, what all they put on their CC, app, CC apply application, all that kind of stuff. So that's where we get a lot of our information. And that's why we work so closely with administrative systems to kind of get access to that information and get that information presented out in a nice way. But as with any data set, there's going to be limitations. And that's where we really start to lean towards surveys and focus groups as other ways to try to collect information about our students and their experience on campus so we can understand how are we doing, where can we improve. So it's a little bit of both, but for most of our work, we're really leaning heavily upon our student information system to say, okay, how are students doing in their courses? Are they seeing their counselors? Things of that nature. We also bring in some other kind of external sources. So some of you may be familiar with Academia, which is one of the kind of platforms we use for tracking tutoring. So we'll do things like that where we'll pull in data from uh, 
I don't know what you call them, private software companies that we hire to help us with whatever their product is. And we'll pull that information in to say, okay, well, how does tutoring look like it's impacting course success? Turns out it's pretty good. So that's always fortunate. So things like that. So, and in terms of the, the, the data pieces you're, you're mentioning in terms of the, that are showing that equity kind of has a little ways to go. I mean, I, how is that coming from Banner, so to speak, or is that mostly coming from the other, the other third-party sources? Mostly coming from Banner. So when we're looking at kind of like retention or course uh, success where, you know, did you get a C minus or better in your course? Mm -hmm. That's all going to be in Banner, our student information system, whether you enrolled from your fall, your first fall to your spring to your third or your second fall, that stuff's all, we're pulling that all out of Banner. So um, when we're looking at kind of our equity gaps, that's where you see a lot of that information in there where we have kind of enough information where we can do some of these analysis to say, okay, do we have disproportionate impact here or not? And um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah so that's where I... we get most of the stuff. And then when you kind of want to know more about the student experience, kind of hear their voice, that's where we kind of start to reach more towards surveys or focus groups. And ideally what we try to do is we identify a disproportionate impact in Banner. And we say, okay, we've got this group of students and you know, it looks like they're not succeeding at the same rate as other students. So at that point, we're kind of left with a question of why and how can we support them to succeed? What is it that we can do to really lift them up? And that's where we start to move into these other methodologies of, okay, okay let's do a focus group. Let's bring a group of these students together, talk to them, listen to them and hear them and see what they say. But you always have a concern with focus groups that you're, you're really only working with, you know, eight to maybe 20 people at most, depending on how many focus groups you do. So the next thing you want to do is you're like, okay, we learned this from the focus groups. Now, does this generalize, does this speak to the rest of similar students experience? And that's where we can kind of start to bring in surveys and say, okay, this is what we saw in the focus group. Does this generalize out? Does this relate to other students of that kind of same characteristic that we're looking at? So that's, kind of how we go at it when we're like trying to understand where and how we can further support equity. It's, we start out usually in banner saying, here, we've got a gap. Once we got a gap, then we want to start moving into, let's find out what's going on. What can we do to support these students? Because they know best. And, you know, we need to recognize that. Once we've got a good idea of that, then we say, okay, does this seem like this applies to all students or is it just a few of these students? And we start to move forward from there. Yeah, I, I like that highlighting both sides of that because I, I think of it always like sports. You know, our people data has kind of been a big become a big part of sports, and it's like the two sides of it where you get a lot of data in terms of the, the quantitative numbers and everything, but without that qualitative, the small sample size of, of watching a game and etc. Things of that sort, it, it helps kind of marry the two to kind of verify results you see on the analytical side or kind of corroborate results you see while watching games, you use the two in concert. So, you know, knowing that you, you, you all cover both sides, it, it does kind of help me a little bit because if, you, it was, if it was just that numbers pull from Banner, it's really hard to kind of, you know, make statements to, you know, make any sort of statement from that stuff. There's, there's all kinds of reasons why someone would kind of enroll in the fall and maybe not enroll in the spring that we're, we're not necessarily to do with, you know, particular things, but, you know, to bring them in and, and have some follow-up like that, I feel like that, that does kind of help kind of paint a fuller picture. I guess, I guess I have a follow-up question along that sports line. Are there any kind of sort of secret equations or anything that help with analysis? Is there like a, cause you know, like I said, most people just go bar graph, go up, bar graph, go down, pie graph, go up, pie graph, go down. Are there kind of ways to crunch those numbers that are like, you know, you create this like, 
like the equivalent of, of war, which is you know winds of rubber placement. Is there a way to kind of quantify? There probably is, but nah, no, it's <laughs> there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we kind of you see them trying to move that way with some of these machine learning algorithms, um, especially like once you have you know not even the information from one school, but you're pulling information from fifty or so schools. Uh, the, that amount of data gives a machine learning algorithm a pretty amount, a pretty good amount of power to start to figure out some things on its own as much as it goes. Kind of weird saying that the machine's figuring things out, but trying to adjust what parameters. But in general, like when we're looking at, um, I mean, for a lot of our information, we're really just looking at trends. So we're not doing a deep analysis. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to do any sort of uh, fancy inferential statistics like multi-level modeling or anything of that sort. We're just kind of looking at it and we're saying, okay, how has this changed over time? And, you know, one of the interesting things that we're doing is kind of saying, rather than just looking at the college, let's start looking at the student journey. So we're trying to develop some metrics that really speak to what does the student journey look like? Because what you've seen, if you look at a lot of our data metrics over time, is they really speak more towards how the college is doing or how the department is doing. How many students did the college enroll in this year? How many students did the college graduate? Where the focus is really the college. And that's important, right? We do need to know these things to be a healthy, thriving college. If we, our enrollments drop or if we start seeing that our students aren't completing at a really significant rate, well, we got to change our business practice. Otherwise, we're not going to have much of a business going forward. But we can go farther than that. And we're starting to move into how can we look at the student journey and really look at a cohort of students saying, OK, you came in in fall 19. What happened to you? All, you know, usually we enroll about three to four thousand students in a given fall term. So how do they all play out? Where do they all go? Where do they all end up? And then starting to disaggregate that information. But there is no magical formula. Uh, there's like, you know, there's some good basic principles of things that you want to understand about your numbers to get an idea of like how to interpret them, how much weight you want to put on them, things of that nature. But no magical formula, unfortunate or fortunately, because that's why I have yeah. a job. I'm not I would sure say I would say fortunately. Kind fortunately, of definitely, it comforts me knowing that it's just kind of trend based, and you're not just trying you're not trying to infer like or map outcomes for folks based on like you know banner banner data. It's very it actually comforts me a lot knowing that that there's a lot of data come in, but a lot of it's just for trend analysis, which is a lot you know like the, yeah. it's the bare minimum nowadays compared to what the you know the tech companies do out in the world. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's I mean it's very different if you look at kind of like any sort of behavioral research that like an R1 university or things of that nature, they will spend, you know, six, eight months on one problem where we're lucky if we get two weeks per problem. So it's a very different level of analysis. Like they've got all the time to dig into it, do multiple types of analyses, say, okay, this one didn't work out. What if we do it this way to address this assumption, things of that nature? We're pretty much limited on that, even though we do have the expertise in those areas to do that, but it doesn't really, it's not as necessary. So we're always trying to balance, okay, what level of analysis is needed to provide the information for someone to make a good decision around this? And that's always the tricky part or the balancing act that we're doing. Yeah. And I definitely see how the, 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 the data piece informs your accreditation work and it informs the data protection, of course. How did the grants part of your the grants officer portion come to play for, for or was that just part of your position when you got the job so that's uh this is so the wonderful thing about being at an institution that's been along around as long as sbcc is you got all kinds of inherited things uh so prior to the reorganizations we did back in 2017 
uh, Jack Friedlander had a grants officer who reported to him as the EVP of institutional effectiveness. So when Jack retired and uh, then my boss at that time, Robert Else retired, that's when I inherited the grants office as it goes. And then Leanna Bowman was our grants officer. Uh, then she moved to another job and uh, well, then I inherited her job as well. So just <laughs> that, that fun sort of inheritance sort of thing we got going on here. So I'm hoping as, you know, if we move into more uh, budget friendly times here that we are able to kind of set forward a more devoted grants office. It, we have enough grants in our institution that it really plays to it, but it does also kind of, I mean, grants are awesome. Like they're the one area where we can get funding to innovate and do things that we absolutely don't have money to do. So uh, it makes a lot of sense to have it kind of really close to research and planning because research and planning is kind of telling you, where do we got gaps? Where do we have things that we need to work on? And then grants can bring in money to support that. So that's the really cool part. And we are so incredibly fortunate to have Rachel Johnson up at the foundation helping support our grants. Uh, like, honestly, we would not be moving forward with grants in nearly the same capacity without her. She does just so much work for the college, helping our faculty and our staff understand what grants are available and then working through the process to get those things submitted. It's, it's a lot of work and just so many thanks to her. And as someone who has sat through your presentation, uh, you and Rachel do a presentation at uh, in-service occasionally about grants. It's uh, very, very informative and worth, worth attending. We do. Shout out. We got one coming up this in-service too. All right. All right. I'm going to have to jump in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause I learned there are not only options for, yeah, there's options for staff faculty to, to apply for personal grants as well for college programs. And, uh, all beyond the, the grants that, you know, the big grants that we're getting, there's also room for small, smaller and mid-scale stuff as well, which is, which is really cool. Yeah, and I imagine that, that everyone leans on your office for the reporting aspect of most grants afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. At the, at the, I don't know if it's at the heart of the grant, maybe at the mind of the grant, somewhere in the grant, there is the data that you've got that you're trying to address. So early on, you're going to say, okay, here's my objectives. I want to increase the number of students that we get, you know, their comprehensive ed plans by 50 a year. All right. How are we going to do that? How are we going to track that? Things of that nature. All of these grants are going to have some sort of objective of that kind, whether it's train X number of faculty or see this increase in student success or get this number of mentees uh, recruited. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Our office helps support all of that data needs of both figuring out what you're going to put into an application. And then once you got your application going and you hopefully get the grant awarded, monitoring that and seeing if all your planned activities have the outcome that you're hoping for. Yeah. So, so it does everything just kind of tie in all together. It does. I mean, yeah. it seems a little crazy when you like just list it out, but there, it really is a kind of nice integration when you start to think about research, research gives you awareness of how and where you need to be planning. Planning gives you an idea of where your resources need to go so you can continually improve. And grants give you the opportunity to do focused changes in various areas. So, yeah. And, and so, and we're, we're definitely glad to have you in this position because I'm sure it's a lot for anyone, including yourself, but seems like you handle it pretty well and you're able to keep a smile on your face, you know, day in, day out. Um, in terms of what brought you here and how you got the job, I and mean, can you speak a little bit about your journey to SBCC? 
I know we've spoken in the past about your previous life in, in a bike shop working on working on expensive high performance bikes. But uh, beyond that, do you want to speak on, on the whole journey a little bit? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it all started back in 2006 when I met a pretty lady and I've just been <laughs> following her ever since. So uh, <laughs> Melissa's my girlfriend. We've been together, I don't know, bundle of years now. Uh, pretty much once I got out of yeah, my bachelor's degree, she got a job out here in uh, Redondo, or not Redondo, Brea, down in Southern California, Orange County area. So we were down there for a few years, and I was like, I was working at bike shops. Great jobs. They don't pay very much. So as I was kind of working through the bike shops, started applying to grad schools and all that kind of fun stuff. During that whole thing, she switched jobs and got a job up here. Um, what was the company? URS. Now it's AECOM. Now the company doesn't exist anymore. So she had a job up here and we're just kind of, as I finished up grad school, I was like, all right, can I get a job at Santa Barbara? And that seemed like a long shot. Uh, but yeah, it lucked out. They had a research and assessment analyst position open and interviewed for that and got the job. So, and then since then it's been happiness. Since 2000 and you said 2006? You been Yeah, in- that's, that's when I met Melissa. Okay. So I think we're at, God, we got to go, I think 15 plus years now. But yeah, so I've pretty much just been following her around. She makes some good decisions. I got to say, I mean, okay, Brea, not my favorite town on earth, but Santa Barbara, good choice. De- definite glow up going from Orange County to Santa Barbara for sure. Yeah. yeah. When I did grad school in Riverside too, which is pretty close. So I grew up in New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico and Riverside. We were always, the argument was always like, how are they different? I'm pretty sure these are almost the same place. <laughs> they, both be... yeah, they both have power plants. Yeah, they both have power plants. Yeah, I'm like, maybe Riverside's hotter. I think Albuquerque might have more shootings. I don't know. It's up in the air. That's no hatch hilarious. Chili. No hatch chilies in Riverside, though, until they come in seasonally. But Oh, uh, that is. I mean, that's where Riverside definitely loses out. They got no chili. So, you know, that's where they lost me. Yeah, that hatch chili, that's a, that's a game changer, man. Yep, yep. Whenever we get to the food part. Well, you're just going to have to tell me when I need to stop talking about chili. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so in terms of how long have you been in, um, at, in Santa Barbara and at the college? So I've been with the college. I think I'm just just hit my five year mark sometime here. Yeah. I think in May. Cal Purs, baby. Yeah. He just got vested. Yeah. <laughs> and there were small celebrations. <laughs> yeah. And you might have got in under the uh, in the classic timeline. You might have just just come in right and you had to get that Cal Purs classic. So yeah. 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 So I've been here about five years. I've been in this role for four years. So I spent a year as a research and assessment analyst uh, before they did their first SERP. And then Robert Else and uh, Jack retired and they reorged the department uh, into, and then I came into this position and uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride ever since. Yeah. Someone who followed, uh, I followed my, my girlfriend at the time up here, I was in LA working, you know, pretty happy, but working about 70, 80 hours a week at times. And like, mm, yeah, maybe it's not going to work long-term if we're going to stay together and like have a family do this and that. So came up here for that public sector life and been loving it ever since. Yeah. Yep, so, yep. Uh, I can yeah. It's ironic. I never wanted to go back to LA and I know some people love LA. I grew up in a small, small town, like 16,000 people. My town had less people than our school has students. Um, <laughs> oh, so, wow. So LA was just like, I thought Albuquerque was a giant city with its two freeways. I was like, man, I just went to the big city. And then Melissa brought me to Fullerton and I almost lost my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't know what to do with that. 
There are too many freeways <laughs> and too many people. That's um, funny. Yeah. And then so it's like right out of grad school. I was like, sweet, never going back to LA. I'm done with that. And of course, the first <laughs> job I get, commuting back down to Redondo. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to, yeah, not just live that life. You had to run the commute too. That's the full experience. Right oh, there. dude, I got the full experience. I was commuting from Brea to Riverside every day for oh, four uh, years. So yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah you, that was one of the reasons that brought me up here was my 24 mile commute was two hours each way. And adding that time back into my life has been an immense quality of life improvement oh, no, Absolutely. It's, it's so great i now get a complaint about commuting 20 minutes it's the best. <laughs> i'm like nah downtown is way too far couldn't be bothered <laughs> yeah and too hot is 85 or 90 as oh yeah Dude, yesterday or what was it yesterday tuesday oh heaven's terrible <laughs> what was it 86 87 yeah right one of my friends is down in tucson he's sending me pictures of their 110 temps i was like oh Never mind. 86 but, is good. <laughs> hey, I'm curious to hear about the bike piece. So what kind of bikes did you work on? Uh, so I worked predominantly on road bikes. When I first started, I did kind of road and mountain, but then I ended up with a job at triathlon lab where they specialize in triathlons. So at that point I was only working on tri bikes and those are some crazy machines. Um, mm -hmm. Like they, they are just twitchy little tight machine man i don't know they put every kind of bell and whistle in there that can make that thing go fast so um yeah the last bike i built with them was just like the sweetest send-off you could ever ask from them for a job so it was this new company sepo and it was the first bike that they had imported into america mm -hmm. and then it was the second bike off the production line so it was there was serial number zero 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 which was in the owner's living room and then i was building zero one. Oh, nice and man it was just a gorgeous bike like i think melissa got a little jealous because i had too many pictures of it and was just, just <laughs> looking at it a little bit too lovingly but yeah it was well, and how much how much was it what was the retail price on it the the frame with no seat no wheels and no gears was eight grand i my current car was worth about 246 dollars because i couldn't get someone to give me the four dollars to make 250 <laughs> so, so yeah i was like damn this pedal cost more than my car and, and it is the kind of thing where yeah the, with those bikes they they have a short life where people if you want the, the fastest the lightest the newest you're, you're upgrading new bikes every like two or three years it's not like that bike is with you forever i mean you can keep it forever but if you if you're like on that bleeding edge of competition you're, you're switching up all the time. So it's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. My bike though, is still 2001. So just saying, but yeah, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I, so prior to working at TriLab, I never really met an iron, iron man person, a person who runs those crazy things, which is like, what is it? It's a marathon, a hundred uh. mile bike and like a two mile swim. So you're mm. looking at like a 13 hour race. I was like, okay, that's just some theoretical thing. And there's like five people who do this turns out there's a whole bunch of these folks and yeah. i don't know how they do it like i don't know this one lady came in she's like well i just got done with my morning run which was a marathon and i'm gonna go for a <laughs> swim now i'm like huh i walked the dogs and had some cereal and got to work on time <laughs> we have different lives <laughs> there's levels to this game yeah. yeah and now you see all the tough mudder folks who do like those crazy like ninja warrior type mud courses and oh, yeah yeah it just gets crazier and crazier one of my brother's kind of favorite shows is like three of those people who just do all these extreme races man we make up some crazy things for people to do 
like just unreasonable. There's a, yeah. when I was a kid, I did a aid station for one of these ultra, not even an ultra marathon, whatever you call a hundred mile run, but it was up in like the Rocky mountains and they run, they do a cumulative elevation change of sea level to Mount Everest. So whatever that is like, Oh my goodness. 29,000 elevation change. So they climb over like eight summits through some passes, some other stuff. So I was at like mile 80 getting to watch these guys come in. So they've been like running all day, all night. It was like 6 a.m. And they're coming in just, oh, man, those people look so sad, except for the guy winning. He just trotted right on through like a happy person. I saw him just jogging up the hill, you know, not even a hill. It was like a 4,000 foot. It's like running up and down these mountains we got in Santa Barbara. Oh, and if you're not training for that, that elevation change, I don't, your lungs will collapse or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah there's not enough oxygen up there at all. Yeah. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Man, I, listen, I'm, I'm getting tired just talking about it, man. <laughs> I'm like, get, let's get to the food section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on that note, yeah, it, makes, it does make for an excellent segue to our, into, into good eating because, yeah, with all that exercise and all that conditioning and, and bike riding and, and things that I don't do, like, well, I do, I have a – my mongoose is from, I don't know when it was built, 1980, 1989, something Needs a new seat. But yeah, I still ride it. It's good. It's good to that go. It might but. be going up in price by now. It's yeah. like antique land almost. Oh, if it was the mongoose BMX style. Yeah, I grew up on BMX style bikes, you know, with the gyro doing tricks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the 10 speed, the mountain bikes, no one, no one's looking for that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. No one was looking for that. I remember it's, the, it's still got the skinny. The red lines, the red yeah. lines, the CWs, the Haros. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. The GT performer. The GT Cyrus. performer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, yeah. I tried, I tried that BMX biking for a hot minute when I was way too old to be trying that, and that hurts. So that's my <laughs> story that. Like, I don't know how they how they hop those things off the ground, but somehow they do that. Every time I tried to do it, I just landed on my bum. Oh yeah. With sure pegs, it helps because you can put your feet on the back pegs and just kind of pop it real easy. Yeah. Spin the gyro. Yeah, get on the fronts and pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get me on a bike. I don't know about all that. I just hurt myself. (laughs) Oh, it's painful too, especially with yeah. Though my my buddy ain't built for those for long use of those seats. When I was a kid, I could go all day, but yeah, not not anymore. I'm getting saddle sore. Uh, -uh. I need my ergonomic seat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, and the shocks. Shocks is a game changer. I thought my tires were flat the first time I had suspension on a bike, but it does help. And listen, the eighties, I'm just thinking about the eighties right now, man. The BMX was, was hot. Braking was hot. Oh, yeah. uh, karate was hot, man. The eighties was, <laughs> the eighties was, uh, man, that was a good period. Yeah. But time, see, I, but we do have rose colored glasses on because cocaine was hot. Trickle down economics were hot. So let's, not, <laughs> let's not forget about, let's not forget about. I'm just, talking, I'm just talking about childhood. I'm just talking okay. about childhood. Okay, okay. Just childhood. Okay, fair, fair. Absolutely fair. <laughs> Yeah, I had rollerblades. That's when rollerblades became a thing. I used to play hockey, so that was like, oh, sweet. I don't have to be a skater kid. I can be rollerblader and be cool. Okay, yeah. I wasn't cool, but I thought I was. I, <laughs> I played a lot of roller hockey, but I, I, I have flat feet, so my rollerblade time was always like, after about an hour, it was my max, where my, the sides of my feet started just barking at me. But oh, yeah. I loved playing roller hockey. I, I really did. Tell the podcast that you have flat feet. <laughs> well i mean i have to explain why i didn't play longer periods of time you know like yeah and why i denied my military service you know like <laughs> so yeah oh yeah, my those be torture devices and also why i wanted to play goalie half the time when you're playing roller hockey normally you don't play with a goalie in roller hockey but i was like but i don't feel like moving right now so let, me just, let me just chill uh, i can't i can't right now <laughs> 
And on that note, <laughs> let us segue to good eating. Uh, our our food section. Uh, Z, do you want to kick us off, or do you want to do you want to defer and wait? Uh, oh well, I've got some real strong opinions about what good eating is, and it always has red or green chili on it, and that's just the truth. And I don't know. And I, I so, know you guys are saying hatch. Uh, I just gotta say, hatch ain't all there is out there. And I and I hear you, as someone who's been to Colorado many times, the red and green chili. Because you gotta explain it for folks. Because when people when you say chili, folks are thinking like beans mm-hmm. and beef. Mm-hmm. And like on top of a hot dog. So if you want to break it down real quick for folks about red and green chili and just what, what, what kind of goes into a good chili in your, in your estimation. Oh, it's got yes. to have flavor and it's got to have spice. That's what goes into a good chili. So what we're talking about chili, you get your green chilies. Uh, and September is a magical time in New Mexico because that's when they're roasting all the chilies. So you're just walking around in all the grocery stores, all the parking lots, you just get this nice smell of chili. And it's not the greatest smell until you grow up with it and then there ain't nothing better. And so that's, that's your green chilies. And those you usually kind of, you can freeze a whole, well, usually you freeze a whole bunch of them because, you know, you got to make it until next September. You're not, not going to be too many chilies in between harvest. But, you know, those you get diced up and usually it comes up as pretty much the kind of chili as it is. You don't do too much past dicing it up. Sometimes people put it in a sauce, but that's kind of a Southern Colorado thing. And it's a little bit questionable, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, if it's the chili you're going to get, it's the chili you're going to get. But so that's the green chili. The other one is the red chili. So the red chili, you let the chilies mature a little bit more. So they turn red. I guess when things get older, they go from green to red. So I'm going to be turning red here in a little bit. I don't know. (laughs) So that's the red chili. Those, they dry out. So you see them on ristras and they just kind of, you'll see those all over New Mexico. If you ever go to New Mexico, you probably bring one home. But essentially what you do with those is whenever it comes time to cook those, and those are always kind of for later in the season, once all your green chili supply has gone out because they're dried, so they last a bit longer. Then you kind of rehydrate them, pull off the seeds, skin it, put in some garlic, blend that together into a nice little red chili sauce. And then you just douse everything in that. So if you want to make real carne adovada, not California carne adovada, you donated red chili. I don't know what they do our carne adovada here in but it's way better. And you just sit that pork in that nice red chili sauce and you let that thing slow cook for like five, six, seven hours until it's just falling apart. And then you stick that inside a sopapilla and oh, heaven is happy. I'm guessing y'all don't have sopapillas either, right? So that's they, another... they, they do exist, but it's not they a exist. common. Yeah, it's not a yeah, common. Yeah, that's another thing. little magical thing. It's like a pita, except way better. But yeah, kind of, I don't know how the heck they no, I did try to make these once and almost lit the house on fire because I got the oil way too hot and then the oil started on fire and whatever. I was 18. Who knows what to do with oil on fire when they're 18? Anyways, scary moment. <laughs> but yeah. Is it, a, so that's is like it a corn is it cornmeal based? I don't think so. I think it's a flour, flour thing and it's kind of light and fluffy. You'll either yeah. get them as dessert and you kind of put honey on them, put honey in them to kind of pop mm-hmm. up so you get a little pocket. But you could also just stuff them with carne adovada and oh heavens, that's a meal to be happy with. So it's a lot like kind of fry bread you see in some indigenous kind of yeah restaurants and things. Yeah, and yeah. And it's probably like not too – well, fry bread usually doesn't have that kind of pocket in it, right? It's mm-hmm. like a nice, dense – well, not – it's kind of a fluffy but thicker bread. But, yeah, it's in that it's in that realm. It's delicious. So that's that's chili. It comes in all kinds of – New Mexico. If you go to New Mexico, they'll just put chili on everything. You can get green chili on your cheeseburger at McDonald's. Bless McDonald's for being flexible in their cheeseburgers, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's just everywhere whatever you get you can get at christmas which is going to get a little red a little green or you can just get it red or you can just get it green or however you want to go 
I recommend green on the inside, red on the outside, because why have just one? <laughs> so in terms of your preferred chili, chili usage, are, are we talking like on meat or are we talking just as is in a bowl? Okay. Well, chili and cheese are just a love. They just love each other. They're good, good friends. You should always have those together. Meat. Yeah. Yeah. Meat and chili go well. I mean, eggs, yeah. eggs. I'm sure eggs oh. go well. Yeah, yep. eggs, breakfast burritos without red yeah. chili. Gosh, yeah. I'm yeah. like, it's a good breakfast burrito. Oh but, man, but I'm missing perfect. something. But I'm <laughs> yeah. missing something. Yeah, that's perfect in terms of adding that little like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, there's this guy I knew, and he made he worked at a burrito shop, and he'd make me a special burrito, and he'd kind of he'd do a corn tortilla in the middle. He'd put chorizo, red chili in that corn tortilla. He'd roll that up, and that's like the heart of your burrito. And then you build the rest of the burrito around it. So I'd do double chorizo, double ham, double chili, double cheese. And gosh, that makes my heart shudder right now. But <laughs> good back then. And man, uh, that, that burrito will ever live on in my memory. Because something with that like corn tortilla center that just kind of held the red chili and the chorizo. And it's like that gooey chorizo that just leaks stuff everywhere. It's not that like fancy chorizo that actually stays as a sausage. It just turns into red mush and yum. Oh man, kind of killing me, making me talk about this. I want that thing now. Are, are there any restaurants in uh, New Mexico anywhere that you would recommend if folks are ever traveling through the area that they have to go to, to kind of get that quintessential kind of New Mexican Ooh. chili flavor? That's a tough one. They keep on uh, changing on me. The regular one that I'd go to actually I had to wash dishes once there because they didn't take cash or they didn't take credit card and I didn't have any cash and I didn't have anyone to go get me cash. So they're like, okay, you can just wash dishes for an hour. What the heck was, I think it was El Parasol. Wait, do they really, is that a true story? True story. And yeah. that worked? Because I, I always <laughs> offer and I'm like, please, let me do this instead. I w- so I went there like every other day. So okay. they kind of knew me and I was like, I'm sorry guys. I just like, I missed, I screwed this one up and they were just joking around. It's like, hey, well, our dishwasher's out. You want to wash the dishes for a while? Turns out I am an exceptionally good dishwasher. I spent many <laughs> years washing dishes and I got, I got it down. So yeah, wash dishes for a little bit and they're like, all right, cool. And it's kind of one of those nice small places where it's like, you know, that probably yeah. won't fly at most restaurants today. It's like, what? You just had a random person into your kitchen to do things? The liability. Yeah, yeah. especially in California. Especially in California. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's a small place. There's like, hey, all right. And on you go. So yeah, that's, other than that, it's kind of, what are the other good places? I mean, it's kind of, I think this goes with pretty much all food. If it's a hole in a wall, you should probably try it. Yeah. Yep. You might regret it later, but you might not. And it's probably worth it. And anything that's a hole in a wall or has been around a while, there's always yeah. a reason, a reason that it's been around a while. And there's a reason that folks are keeping their kind of, you know, their operation in, in control because anything that scales you lose control of certain aspects of it. So, yeah. so, so the hole in the wall, they're still in control of the entire operation. So what you're getting is their, their, the purest expression of what they're trying to serve you. So that, yeah. yeah. If, I mean, if you are in Albuquerque and you're feeling brave, Nelson's meat market, that is like the, uh, that place has been around since Melissa's mom was a kid. So we're talking 70 plus years. Uh, so it's been there forever. Um, her mom actually flies us out. So her mom retired from the airline. So she kind of flies out here pretty easy. So she'll bring us out chili and red chili. But yeah, they make this excellent red chili sauce and it comes in little pint containers. She frees that and she brings that out to us. We just used the last of ours and I'm real sad about it. But yeah, Nelson's Meat Market. Oh, where the heck is it? It's in the North Valley of Albuquerque. 
Um, yep. They got good meat. And then they also got some good chili and a random assortment of other things in there, but not really a restaurant, but it's where, where you go for your supplies. If you're making dinner. And in terms of bringing some back and freezing, it sounds like the way to go. So, Oh yeah. Especially God, the red chili, man. Like, we get the red chili powder. Melissa's pretty good at making it into a sauce, but uh, it just doesn't compare to that, what they were doing down there, man. It's cool. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's and, good. And even as someone's had, like I said, I had the Colorado stuff and, and I do I always sense that like Colorado, New Mexico friction where they tell you like, well, we do it this way and they do it that way. But you know, and I was like, Hmm, I see. Yeah. That's I'm pretty I, sure Colorado likes putting their green chili into some sort of sauce with sausage. Yeah, uh, what just, I've had it, it's definitely been like a soup, like a stew, like a soupy mm, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. That's good too. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this subtle shade, this subtle shade. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm proud of Southern Col- or Colorado. They're starting to, they're starting to bring in some more red chili. They're starting to get serious about like having it. It's got to have a good spice too. I mean, like so much of the stuff we get, it's just got no spice by the time it gets here. The chilies they pick them aren't the really hot ones, and and, you know, that loses a fair bit. You got to have that kind of burning euphoria as you're trying to eat through your meal. You know, a little sweat on your forehead. That's good. That's like, what we're like looking e- for. Yeah, even the hatch chilies, they, they always say mild or spicy. And, like, I always go with the spicy because that the depth of flavor and that, that spice is, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you just yes. need that, that burning euphoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Han, definitely. I've eaten with this man. And <laughs> I know he's all about that spice, dude. I knew it was serious when I saw him throwing back the cups of salsa at, at Moni's. <laughs> and not only was it cups of salsa, it was the cups of the habanero Ooh, salsa. Yeah. I was like, I was like, damn, this dude don't play. Dude, Moni's <laughs> has some good, uh, I like Moni's, man. And their salsas, that habanero one does have some kick to it. Yeah, yeah. good kick, yeah. And, and the thing about habaneros is, it's in terms of spice and flavor, it's probably my favorite pepper because yeah. it, it balances spice and flavor so well. Because you get that yeah. little sweet hit, and then it punches you with the spice. But that's how hatch chilies are too, to me, where you get that beautiful chili flavor, and then it knocks you over the head with the spice if you get the spicy. It's not just like obnoxious, like like the butthalokia, the ghost chili and stuff. It's just like right away, <laughs> yeah, you're getting yeah. Whopped, you know, like getting walloped over the head. So like like the the, the habanero and, and and even the jalapeno and stuff, like serranos, those, those have the best kind of balanced flavor for me yeah yeah my brother gets a kick out of growing ridiculous peppers and uh, last time i was out there he made me try this what was it, it was like a scorp a scorpion scotch bonnet blend so oh my I, God, I think the scorpion and the scotch bonnet are both unreasonably the naga, hot the naga scorpion is insanely hot so. yeah. <laughs> yeah and the scotch bonnet too holy oh god i just like just the smallest amount that i could feasibly get away with eating and I think I cried for at least half an hour. Just like <laughs> I, I went to a different realm for a short bit there, where it's like, nope, holy heavens, that is too hot. I will be back later, hopefully, <laughs> or not. I don't know. But yeah, uh, you need that one. But yeah, habaneros, I think those are, I'm with you. I'm with you. Other than red and green chili, those might be my favorite one. It gives you that kind of nice slow heat, builds from the back of the tongue, good flavor, sweetness. Yeah. Look- I will say Thai chilies are good too, though. Oh yeah, we gotta yeah, we right. gotta get you gotta get a little. Those, those little are the ones I've eaten the most. Those little bird's eye, like the Thai. Yeah, chilies. yeah, they're like the end of your about the size of the end of your pinky kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those ones are good. Yeah, those, I got a bunch of dried ones in my fri- in my freezer right now. I always break them out. So yeah, that, that that's a good point. Good point. Sometimes those scare me though. I'm like the littler the pepper, the more scared I am. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, one of my those will life. sneak up on you too. Those will yeah. sneak up on you. 
my best barroom competition thing ever. So I was random bar in Riverside. This guy comes up to me and he pulls out a pepper out of his, two peppers out of his pocket, about the size of your end of your pinky. First off, peppers out of your pocket. Yeah, a lot of questions randomly. there. A lot yep. of questions. But anyway, a lot I'm of far, questions. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of damn questions. <laughs> I'm far enough into the night that I'm just like, all right, let's do this. Because, you know, I'm a, a very uh, white kind of fellow. So most people don't assume that I can eat peppers. So this guy was, he was looking forward to like just, watching me burn and cry i was like all right you eat one i'll eat one so i ate one i got the dead pepper like this thing didn't do anything and this guy's over here burning up just like crying <laughs> trying to find all the bar solutions to hot food and i'm just sitting there all hey and he He's was like, the one that pulled him out yeah yeah oh see that you gotta come you can't come like that you gotta come correct if you're sitting there pulling peppers out of your pocket to challenge random passerby in the bar yeah. to spice challenges and you're coming and wimping out like that, begging the bartender for a glass of milk. Oh, uh, it was like my proudest moments because he had all his friends around. And I was just yep. going up there to get a beer or something. And he's like, I bet this guy won't do that. And I'm like, all right, do it. And man, he's just crying. And I'm like, I mean, I just lucked out. That pepper had nothing. It was like, it, I, <laughs> honestly, he got the spicy one. I got like, I don't know, the bell pepper or something. Because uh, I was like, sweet, I'm not burning. This guy's over here crying. I'm just like, oh, yeah, feeling strong right now. <laughs> Yeah, you got, and that's your that's your bar hood pass. Every time you go in there from here on out, if any of those guys in the bar, they'd be like, they'll vouch for you right after that. They'll be like, right? oh yeah, I remember that guy. It sounded like a uh, a uh, like a rhyme right there. Pulling peppers out your pocket, Peter <laughs> Piper, pick a pepper. <laughs> yeah, especially when he's running for the hills after. I can't believe that. Yeah, you're, the, you're the one randomly pulling peppers out your back pocket. You gotta. <laughs> You gotta have a better poker face than that. At least, at least suck it up and just let the tears fall down your cheeks and just have a straight face. Don't come wailing to the bartender for. It's like I'm okay. I'm okay. He's like, it doesn't look like you're okay. Oh yeah, you'll never catch me doing that to nobody. I'll at least, uh, I'll at least suck it up and run outside and cry, and cry in my car or something. I'm crying in the alley because I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, blessed That's Riverside. Funny. Good place. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, the, the explications on, on on chili of all sorts. I appreciate that as, as someone who loves spice. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, whatever. It's what makes food interesting. Spicy salads. I don't know why they haven't caught on, but you need to start putting <laughs> hot sauce in your salad. It makes it way more interesting. Oh, the red pepper flakes, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. All right, Akil, you want to go? You want me to go? It's it's up to you. Okay, uh, I'll go. All right, go. I'll go just because I. I the past couple of weeks, I've been picking kind of bougie places, so I want to bring. I got. I got to bring it back. I got to bring it back to the wait. Roots. Wait, hold up, hold up. <laughs> just, just before we get into this, I just want to let. I just want to let the listeners know that Hung and I are in constant communication, and this guy. I don't even know what happened to this guy. I, when we started this podcast, he was like Mr. Frugal. I'm on a budget. The last maybe like three months, this dude has been like like creme de la creme like sending me pictures from the ritz carlton hotel like i'm, <laughs> I'm like sh- of short I'm, ribs short, dude, not, I, no, not no ritz carlton just of a short rib sending me pictures of 30 <laughs> avocado toast i'm like i'm like what who is this guy now i'm vaccinated i'm i'm back out on the town i'm, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> dipping in I'm, I'm i'm eating at i'm eating at restaurants like yeah i'm, I'm back you I'm, are back so what but, you got for us? What you got? But for I us? do want to shout, like, bring it back and 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 shout out some uh, little mom and pop, like we were talking about hole in the wall places. Um, I was in Cambria a couple weeks ago where I sent Akil the picture Look, of the, the Cambria, y'all. short rib. <laughs> <A> cra- 
He's going back to his roots in Cambria. Okay, no, go ahead. But on the way to Cambria, we stopped by every time Los Osos is one of my one of my favorite places in the world is Montana de Oro, uh, you know, State Park in uh, in in Los Osos, Morro Bay, that area. So in Los Osos, you know, when you get Thai food, people will always say, "Oh, go to Noise." Noise is a like an institution there. It's like a little like a little wooden shack, and they have Thai food. It's good. It's a great restaurant. I'm not saying anything bad about Noise, but for my money, my pick in Los Osos on Ninth Street is a place called Lotus Thai. And I've been going to Lotus Thai since I was in college there. So, you know, 2002, 2003. Um, they recently have switched uh, owners. It's under different ownership, but it's still Lotus Thai and it's still a Thai family. Uh, you know, before I, when I went there, it was a Thai family, but the husband was, was um, I think Italian American and he was from my hood down in LA. He was from Omani. So that's how I, I, I chopped it up with him. Like, oh, you know, Amani, like, it's like, I know Amani back as a landfill. And, then, and I was like, oh, I don't remember that. So, you know, we, 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 learned, we broke it down that way. They recently are under new ownership, but still excellent. Uh, they probably maybe have like one or two tables in the restaurant, but it's mostly takeout. But if you get food from there to take out and take it to Montana Doro State Park, not, not a better way to spend your day on this planet than go to Montana Doro State Park and get food from Lotus Thai. But next to Lotus Thai, they opened up a carniceria. Uh, it's called San Miguel Meat Market. It's only been there within the past year and they have a special right now where they do, you can either do a pound of bedia or two pounds of carnitas. A pound of bedia is 15, two pounds of carnitas for 18 comes with tortillas, comes with salsa, comes with Mexican Cokes and you can get that and bring it to Montana. So either way, if you're planning a day trip to Montana state park, and if you're in that area, I mean, I, if you've never been, or even if you have been, it's, it's a great way to spend your day. It's great hiking, great, you know, beach access. It's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to on this state, on this planet, you know, in this country. Um, yeah, I would say San Miguel Meat Market, besides having a good deal on carnitas and media, they use Harris Ranch for their meat products, which, you know, for carnicerias, you know, the, the providence of the meat is always kind of an open question, but they, they proudly display it. They serve Harris Ranch. And if you've ever driven up and down the five, you know the smell of Harris Ranch, you know, from, from that drive. So, and it doesn't smell great. You probably, it doesn't smell great when you're driving by it, but it is high quality meat. I mean, I didn't verify. I was going to ask, but I didn't know if they would know if it was the Halal Harris Ranch because Harris Ranch does do specifically Halal meat as well. But I didn't verify that. But Harris Ranch is always going to be a pretty good cut. So if you're if you're in the area and you need like you know your kind of sedia goods like carne asada things of that sort, go into San Miguel. They will have Harris Ranch. But even just their prepared stuff, the carnitas were excellent. The video was good. Um, and for under twenty bucks, like I got the I got the carnitas personally, you know, because it was two pounds. And we had friends over when I when I got back in town. And between me and three, four other people, we only made it through about pound, pound and a half. So I still had more for me after entertaining a, a you know, a whole room of, of, I guess, a small room of guests. So it's, it's a lot of food and it's not very much money. So that's, that's my, uh, you know, like frugal pick. The frugal <laughs> pick. Also, so San Miguel Meat Market and Lotus Thai. Not to say anything bad about noise. Noise. If someone recommends noise, go ahead, head over there. If you're eating, dining in, noise probably the place because that little wooden shack, pretty good ambiance. But if you just want like you know great food and you're going to Montana de Oro, Ninth Street is right off the main drag on your way to the state park. So yeah, Lotus Thai and San Miguel. Okay, but you never told us what you ordered from the Lotus Thai though. Oh, I get the when under previous ownership, I used to get the Red Mountain. Which okay. is kind of like this, uh, you know, like the, the, that red sauce with the spinach and the cashews and the chicken, you know, like the chicken meat in there. Um, the wonton soup, which you wouldn't really think to order wonton soup always from a Thai place, but I always love the wonton soup at Thai places, strangely enough. Uh, but yeah, the, the wonton soup, the tom yum is excellent. And then now instead of the, the red mountain, I get the cashew nut chicken. 
which is the same sauce base. It's that reddish mm. kind of like umami base sauce. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, the pad thai, pad siu, all the stuff is, is, is really good. But, but for me, I get the cashew nut chicken, chicken satay, and then a large thing of wonton soup. All right. It sounds good, man. I'm back. I'm back. He's back. <laughs> Hong, is, Hong is officially out here in these streets, y'all. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while. But. Who's excited for being vaccinated and being able to go to restaurants? Uh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Because And, and yeah. honestly, the changes that they've made at all these restaurants, like a lot of these al fresco dining areas, it's really nice. You know, like, I mean, I don't know how it is in this in this 100 degree heat, but otherwise, being outside and eating in the, some of these areas is really nice. A lot of the online things they've done, to, if you're doing takeout, to simplify where I could just put an online order to go in 20 minutes, pick up the food and go, very nice. Like, Oh yeah, I'm 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 rooting for these restaurants. I, they they've been through a lot these past this past year plus, and I'm I'm just trying to support however I can, whether it's a thirty dollars short rib, or, or or avocado toast, or, or avocado toast at Fitch and Fork, dude. Hey, I support feeding my belly and supporting all our local businesses. I mean, absolutely. that's a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll go ahead and go. I'm going. I'm going a little bit out of town this week on my choice, but uh, there's a place in Santa Monica. It's called Sunny Blue, and um, basically they specialize. It's a small kind of hole in the wall, and what they do is they specialize in. Um, some people call it. Um, I just basically call it um, onigiri, uh, which is kind of like a Japanese rice uh, ball. It's usually in a triangle. Um, and it's and it's stuffed with a whole bunch of different different fillings. It can be uh, you can stuff it with like spicy tuna. You can stuff it with like beef. Um, you can stuff it with um, my favorite one is the shiso, which uh, which is like a Japanese kind of leaf along with uh, pickled veggies. Uh, that's one of my uh, favorite ones from um uh, that particular spot but if you're down in santa monica it's a great spot um great reviews small hole in the wall if you want your boba you come, they make they have that there too as well but just a really good um um simple but yet uh filling uh dish that, that you people would would love to eat it's a good um way to experience another part of uh, japanese culture without uh, necessarily always eating sushi. Um, a lot of kids grow up in Japan. Actually, their parents would p- pack um, onigiri in their lunch. Um, some, you know, people, uh, some of my friends here in the States, um, you know, their parents used to pack, you know, onigiri for them uh, in their their kids' lunchbox to take to school. But it's one of those home uh, comfort foods uh, you know, and it's filling. You wouldn't think it, but it's a rice triangle. I would always get like maybe like three, um, you know, three different ones. And that's kind of fills me up. But it's definitely sunny blue Santa Monica. That is the spot. Um, can't go wrong with the uh, onigiri. Yeah, Akil, Akil stays repping for the people. Because I, when I think of onigiri, I think of working class, like a burrito. Uh, yeah. uh, something you can hold in your hand, like while you're driving your car. Or just get like you're hungry, you're working, you just mm. want to quick step aside, eat, and go back to work. Like burrito, onigiri, similar, similar, like self-contained foods. Yeah, like really good and really hearty and really nourishing. Like mm. I, I've always loved, loved, loved really good onigiri. And, and sometimes 
sometimes just with the rice in the in the nori is enough for me but the, the or a little bit of like the, you know the little cuttlefish stuff they sprinkle in takoyaki like yeah that in there something like that like oh yeah always always good always good you know, I'm waiting for like, um, and it's kind of interesting too. I'm kind of waiting for that to blow up because, you know, everyone w- went through the sushi phase, the roll phase, every, and then it went from that to ramen. At, ramen had its kind of, it's kind of had its day. So I'm just waiting for uh, Onigiri spots to kind of blow up too, because it's like you said, it's just the rice in that triangle and then it's wrapped in uh, the nori. Um, and the nori is everything. If it's crispy, fresh, um, you get the warm rice with the crispy, the crispy uh, nori. It plays on the textures, uh, so hopefully um, that would be the next kind of frontier. But it's it, they really pack it well um, down in Sunny Blue. Um, it's a really great place to eat, and um, it's a part of the old towns in Santa Monica. And so it's a great area just to walk around, go to shops. Um, check out different stores. The beach is only like a couple blocks away. It's it's an experience. You can make a day out of it. Sunny blue, Santa Monica. Don't sleep. Yeah, there, there was a there's a place in Gardena called Torimatsu, and they do grilled onigiri. Mm-hmm. They, yep. They it and they finish it on the grill. Oh, because yeah, know, crisp, crispy. Crisp. Oh yep. man. Yeah, oh, you that's making me hungry all over. I know. Again. That, I mean, that, that's what this, that's what this part of the show always does. But that's why it's good that we we eat lunch beforehand because oh, I'm thinking about that now because there aren't that many places to get onigiri around here. I mean, if you have a Japanese market nearby, you can usually get some pr- some pretty decent stuff. But yeah, yeah I remember. I, I got to go try this stuff. I don't think mm-hmm. I've had this. It's definitely worth the trip. I remember one time I was in Japan and um, uh, what city was it? We were hiking, and I forget. I, I mean, it's it's escaping me right now. But we were hiking, and once we got to the top, there was like a, you know a little shop on the top of the mountain, and uh, they did the grill the grilled uh, onigiri, and then it, they basted in soy sauce, and um, so it got the crispy outside texture with the saltiness of the soy sauce. Man, that was like that was the best thing I had ever eaten that day because I was like, you know how it is when you work so hard and you're out of breath, you make it to the top, but you're like, yeah, it's time to get my grill on right now. Yeah. I deserve this. I've earned it. Yeah. It earned and, that, it. And, that, and that's what I think about it as, because I, I mean, if, if we tell you to go get it, if you haven't had it and you eat it, like, you know, the flavors are kind of under, un, like a little understated to a certain extent, depending on what filling you get. And because it's mostly rice, mostly naughty, and then a little bit of the stuff in the middle, but it's more about the work you did or what you did to get to that point where you're taking that break and enjoying because it's really filling it and in terms of sustenance it's all you need but it's, it's more like like a hard after a hard morning's work or or whatever you've been doing you need a break and you take that and you can just relax and decompress like it's 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 more a statement of the kind of the expression around you if that makes sense as yeah. opposed to like you have to try it because it's this like amazing umami flavor bomb like it's that's not what this is in terms of what 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 the dish is it's more just kind of like yeah it's more like a part of your day that is it's just a nice kind of like like a highlight you know like it's a highlight in its own way but i I wouldn't i wouldn't recommend like say like oh you have to try this because the flavors are crazy are incredible because they are but it's more just like it's a callback you know like it's a it's a it's a it's a piece of it's it's just a piece of the culture it's just it's just really beautiful but it's not it's not this it's not it's not like yeah i don't know (laughs) it's not gonna be a flavor bomb so i did you definitely should try it but don't go and expecting like you can take a bite and be like Wait a minute! I was expecting like, you know, like, like the spice we were talking about earlier. 
It doesn't. It, it's not necessarily that unless you, depending what you dip it in, depending what your filling is, because the, the 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 true key of it is the rice and the nori. If the rice is good, the nori is good. It's going to be a delicious bite. But just know that it that that yeah, it's it, it's the like the harmony of it all, as opposed to you know like some kind of flavor that is coming at you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. All right. Some good choices. Right. This episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was- so. I was a little bit off on the specific spot. If you are going through Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you need to get your red chili fill, you want to go to Padilla's Mexican Kitchen. So Padilla's, P-A-D-I-L-A-S. Padilla's, okay. And this is going to be kind of pretty close to the intersection of I-25 and I-40. So no matter how you're going through Albuquerque, you're probably passing by it, and it's worth a stop. Perfect. Yeah, because especially I-25 runs to Colorado, too. So if you want to do the Colorado-New Mexico battle in one trip, (laughs) you can run that route. Yeah. Great, great. I'm looking forward to checking that out in the show notes. I'll, I'll definitely have both in there. And so moving on, we are now going from uh, good eating to higher learning, our, our culture piece. Um, Z, if you want to kick us off again, anything, um, book, movie, TV, any media that has been giving you life, any, anything you want to recommend to folks, whether you, what's something you do now or in your past, Ooh. Many past lives as a bike bike person, etc. Oh, a bike person. Oh, as a bike person, <laughs> Zen in the art of bicycle mechanics is a must. <laughs> but that's just uh that's just if you ever want to learn how to work on your bicycle and you and if you find Zen and doing things, then that's a good one. Just because you said it. But, so is it a spin-off yeah. of the motor? Is it a spin-off of motorcycle maintenance? It's not as fun as the motorcycle maintenance one, if I'm being <laughs> honest. It's a little bit more of actually working on the bike, but yeah, now. I'll put nah, it in the show but, notes. Yeah. Yeah. As it goes for right now, uh, the expanse. So I haven't been watching the show. I'm keeping it wholesome on the books, but yeah. So the, the last book of that expanse series is supposed to come out this November. And that's what I, that's what I'm on the edge of my seat for. I, I just read through the series again. So I'm like, okay, well, actually I read through it. It was supposed to come out last year. It didn't come out last year. So now I'm a little bit behind. Don't know if I remember everything, but all the same, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to here. I want that set, that last book to come out because you know, I think it was a nine book series, mm-hmm. a lot of books, and I, and it looks like these guys are going to pull off a pretty phenomenal end. And to boot, the the authors are from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even know that when I started reading it, but looking back, I'm like, hey, that's cool. Thanks. Guys. <laughs> so, do you know how far the TV show went in terms of the books? Because I did love the TV show too, and I haven't gotten that far in the books. I think I the probably, TV shows like into like I think each uh, whatever season is pretty much a book. I think they're into book. like four or five. Right yeah, now. so they canceled they canceled the show after three seasons, and now oh they're no way! But it's got an additional three seasons on Amazon, so they're gonna get, probably get to six seasons total. So okay. that should be hopefully the six books. But yeah, yeah. Uh, like honestly, I couldn't stand James Holdem. Like the guy they casted for him, it just made uh, <laughs> no, nah, dude. I couldn't do that guy. Like I was, uh, that's how it always goes. If you've read the book first, like any anytime there's like a TV or movie adaptation, like the casting choices are always gonna be a little yeah. yeah. Whereas I came from the show first and started reading the books after, so I'm like I'm like two two or three books in, and just just after watching the show, and I kind of like I don't exactly look look at it in the character's eyes now but i can kind of it kind of makes a little more sense but i could see where if i read the books first like yeah it would just well, even be- like the holding character in the books i mean that guy's just a i don't know he's a piece right then, <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know once you put him into like real life man they they either casted him super well or not i don't know but i was like man i could not deal with that actor yeah 
that's yeah. the worst though you know when you invest so much time in the book and then like you're getting excited for the tv we all know the books are always better than the movies or the tv series and then when they cast someone you can't stand in the role man damn yeah, yeah it ruins it I, like it ruins I had, it yeah i had to step way back from that and like erase all of my memory of that i'm like okay that never happened we're going straight to the books yeah. But luckily, this is not a George R. R. Martin situation. This isn't like you're waiting a lot of time for the. I mean, you're waiting a little bit for the book, but they have followed a pretty regular release schedule. You know, for yeah. for a nine, a coming gonna be a nine book series, they have maintained. You know, every couple of years, they're 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 keeping the audience fed. You know, where George yeah. R. R. Martin, people are starving out here for for Dude, for a book, they, a book they already know the ending to because he yeah. said he's not gonna really diverge from the ending there. So you get you've been you've been getting that steady diet of books. You're still ahead of the show. So there's still a lot of like incentive to to finish that book series and just get it done, you know. So that's Dude, it's exciting too. They're doing well with that. J.R. Martin. So I actually quit watching the show. So I don't know what happened at the end. No one tell me because I, well, for a while there, I was holding out hope he was going to write the sixth book. I think I've given up on that now. I'm pretty sure we're just done with five books. That guy's never going to write anymore. <laughs> like I don't know. Everything seems to indicate he's like, yeah, sure, I'll write another book. Yeah, he, 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 he throws out like three pages every like few months to kind of like like tease fans, like he'll put a few pages on his blog or whatever, and then go yeah. to sleep on his piles and piles of money and be like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to put myself through that the isolationism of book writing and stuff. Uh, so that dude lives in Santa Fe and he just got like a big old ordinance violation because he tried to build a castle in Santa Fe. And Santa <laughs> Fe has like very strict building codes. They want everything to look Adobe. So there's my little tidbit on J.R. Martin. <laughs> 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 like really dude write your sixth book already <laughs> yeah so, so tidbit don't move to santa, santa fe and build a castle that's not gonna work <laughs> uh-uh, yeah work if you wanted it. to build a giant adobe presidio to defend his piles and piles of money it would have been okay but yeah yeah <laughs> that would have been more appropriate but not a castle. <laughs> i mean i don't know if anyone's been to santa fe but castles in santa fe they that's not no, yeah it's, it's not castle land you need like i don't know england scotland Maybe yeah, somewhere up in Washington needs castles. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, so those those are excellent. Ex- it's an excellent book series. I would definitely put a link in the show notes to both info about the books and the show for anyone trying to get in there. The show is streaming on Amazon Prime. If anyone needs like a kind of a, a gateway into seeing if they want to try the books or not, just, you, just watching the show will get you get you halfway there. But yeah, like Akil said, there's the, the books are always better than than any other media for me in terms of when you adapt something because you get so much more in depth in terms of like breakdowns of, of characters motivations and, and all the background details they try to do with mise-en-scene like putting stuff in the background of sprinkle it throughout the backgrounds of the shows and stuff but yeah just getting to to live those machinations yeah yeah can't, can't beat the books Nah, those guys are doing good work with that expanse series it looks like i mean it got interesting and kept getting interesting like usually they kind of i don't know somewhere around book three or four it's got the same ending you know, book three has the same many as book four is five to six, but now they kept it changing. Yeah, especially for nine books. I mean, the only other long series like that I can think that I actually made it through was was probably Dark Tower, the Stephen King books. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's just hard to get to to sustain. I mean, I guess the fantasy authors tend to do it a lot. They can go yeah. like you know, like like Anne McCaffrey does like Pen Dragon books, just spilling out, you know, all all every which way. But yeah, the sci fi and, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, Asimov did. I think oh. he had like seven or eight foundation books so maybe yeah 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 somewhere around there then because uh, it was like the foundation trilogy and then there was before foundation then after so like it was like yeah yeah asimov that guy also was in santa fe or los he was somewhere in that area too just saying really? new mexico yeah i didn't realize new mexico was this hotbed of science fiction and fantasy yeah, yeah. and yeah, asimov was 
probably one of my favorite. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite sci-fi authors. I could be spewing this information on that one too. I'm not totally positive. <laughs> I, I will fact check and, and I'll, I'll, I'll insert a correction in the show notes if need be. But yeah, now the Wheel of Time though, that's another of those long. Oh series. yeah. Wait, don't tell thing... me. Is he from New Mexico too? Nah. Okay. Because no. <laughs> Wheel of Time is excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Gordon. ended at 14 books or Rob, something Rob, like that. Robert Jordan, I think. Yeah. Now yeah. that one's got true tragedy. Robert Jordan died at book 11. What did his son finish it? What? No, Brandon Sanderson finished it. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. He did a good job too. I mean, God, I can't. Can you imagine picking up a series that's 11 books long and trying to wrap that up for someone? Whew. Yeah. And then Man. Right. <laughs> talk about pressure. Of... Yeah. J.R. Martin's got nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's not feeling any pressure right now. Yeah. No, I can't build my castle. I'll just build an eight bedroom Adobe house, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good pick. All right. All um, right. You want me to go next to kill you? Want, I guess we'll just keep the same, same rotation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go. So I was going to, going to go like dip, dip back in the classic vault and do like just a, a, a book of mine that was favorite of the years. But then I started watching TV and I, and I decided to go with TV. So <laughs> I know I'll, I'll, I'll save the, the vault selection for our next episode. Um, we on this show we've recommended play stuff on a lot of streaming services you know netflix hbo amazon this week i'm i'm repping for peacock the new, oh, the, new yeah. NBC, the new nbc streaming service that doesn't have seinfeld and doesn't have friends yes <laughs> yeah so so like well, what will you watch you know like they have some they have original programming the original programming is actually pretty good um they have a free like ad tier where you'd only get a couple episodes of each series and i paid for the ad, with ads which is like five bucks a month and then they have like a no ads. So I got the with ads because being frugal, once again, repping, <laughs> lies. repping my bread. Dude, that's lies. That's lies, dude. That's lies. <laughs> I mean, you got to cut back somewhere if you're going to eat them short ribs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, so, Z. So I get some ads, but I do get to see all the shows. And they, uh, the original programming, I, I have been enjoying. Their, they've done two shows. One's called Girls 5 Eva. And the other one's called We Are Lady Parts. And they're both about female musicians. Yeah. I've ever was about a turn of the century pop. Like they had a they had a hit in the turn of the century, and then yeah. they're coming back as a reunion. Uh, Sarah Bareilles, she's she, I guess she had some legit like hits. I I mean, she, I I can hum the song to you, but I don't know what they're called. But yeah, she had legit hits. You know, you know, within the past couple of decades, she's the star of that show, along with Renee Elise Goldsberry, who's from Hamilton. You know, and uh, you know, Busy Phillips and a couple of comedians. Um, uh, it's about so they're they're getting back together in their forties and trying to like rekindle that pop magic so that's just just straight comedy and then we are lady parts is um i watched that oh did you watch that yeah oh so good i thought that was just an incredible show i mean it's a comedy as well but it's about uh female muslim um female muslim women in london who form a punk band and then uh you know but beyond that it's kind of like wrestling with 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 how that kind of fits in with their family dynamics with their faith dynamics and and what's over there and it's just I thought it was just really, really well done. Like Girls Five Eva is a funny show, but We Are Lady Parts I thought was just a great, just a great show. Period. Like it's just really, really like a good, a good kind of peek into like under that Muslim Muslim lens of, of family dynamics. Like there's a there's a scene where they're, they're, the guy's trying to pretend like he's he's he knows this girl, and instead of like the classic sitcom like who's like oh you work here do you know this guy they ask you know who's who's your imam which mosque do you pray at you know things <laughs> of that sort and it was just just those little touches that, that really kind of kind of you know rounded it out and really made it good you know really really felt good for me to watch and 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 in terms of my experience with the punk the punk world the punk culture they really hit all the punk notes right. 
about how the, the, the arc of the narrative flows. And by the end of it, they really have to do it themselves and, and the DIY ethos that that instills along with just the freedom of expression and kind of the thrill of being a part of a subculture that is looked at as kind of like, you know, underground and, and illicit in some ways, like a sneaky thing that you kind of have to hide from certain people and, 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 and just kind of gloss over. Like, I thought it was really well done and I thought it was a really good show. Wait, so do you have Peacock, Akil? Do you, did you get no ads or do you get ads or how did you subscribe to that? I don't even know. Uh, wifey pulled it up and then we, I told her about the show and then we pulled it up. We watched together. I don't, I think it had ads though. Okay. Yeah. So but um, not, yeah. Yes. It's only six episodes. So I'm hoping they get a second season. I thought yeah. they, they did a good job with the casting. The people they yeah. pick for the, for the roles are, are yeah. And they can play the songs are pretty good. So yeah. I know a wifey was all about it. She liked it. She enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, good pick, man. That that caught you. You that was a you threw me a curveball, man. When she <laughs> said peacock, I was like, is he could talk about? What I don't know he... where you're going with peacock. Yeah, <laughs> there's a show about yeah. peacocks out there. They, they also have. I mean, they have a Saved by the Bell spinoff that I'm waiting to watch, and some other stuff that I'm waiting to watch, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But yeah, nice, good choice, man. All right, Akil, what you got? I got, um, I know Juneteenth is right around the corner. It's this coming weekend, and uh, Father's Day is coming this weekend. So shout out to, you know, everyone. That's going to be, you know, all the dads out there as well. But uh, the choice that I actually went with, it's called, it's a new series on Netflix, and I highly recommend this uh, series. Um, I think it's a four-part two. I think it's a four or six, but it's called High on the Hog. It was just released. Um, basically it, um, talks, it gives the backdrop history of black food in, uh, in the, in the Americas and how, um, it came with them, um, through, uh, through the enslavement, uh, period. And so it's just a really well done, uh, super informative, uh, show, um, um, it follows, I believe his name is Stephen. uh, What's his name? Steven Satterfeld. Satterf- yeah, Satterfeld. I think that's his name. Who he's a a chef himself and a writer, and so it starts out with him basically um, in Africa and his experience being there. How it for him was uh, somewhat liberating, and then it walks him through. Uh, I believe it starts in West Africa, and then he goes to. I think it's. I don't know if it's. I think it's Benin where he goes um, and then he comes, uh, he goes through that experience of what it was like uh, to be in Africa. And then the food, the history correlations in the Americas, uh, they talk about some of the famous dishes like macaroni and cheese. They give some historical uh, uh, reference to like Thomas Jefferson, uh, George Washington. Uh, It's just a really well done, thought out uh, uh, piece of entertainment. Um, and also there's, they put you on notice to certain restaurants, uh, in the bigger cities that, that they're in. So there's one restaurant in LA that I'm going to try to get, get to because they actually highlighted it in the show. So, um, that's definitely on my list to get to, um, just a great, great source of um, information, um, about the, the culinary experiences, um, and the influences of, uh, black uh, culture uh, in the Americas. Uh, one of the other the pieces that they talked about that was really interesting about 
oysters and the history of oysters and how um, that was, has deep roots in, in the black community. Um, and that's where a lot of it kind of started from. So just, just super informative, a, a lot of, of good things about the show. So that's my pick for the week. Um, definitely check it out. Everyone that I've talked to that has watched it has, you know, texted me or called me and kind of talked about it. They just, it's just well done. And Akil did tip me off that he was going to, or tip me off to watch it at least. And I'm pretty sure he's going to talk about it on the show, but so mm. I did check it out too, after he recommended it. And it was, it was excellent. It was really good. I mean, the first episode ground kind of grounds it by going to West Africa and kind of showing kind of the, the how the, the direct food kind of, kind of preparation and, and traditions there. And just seeing, seeing this, the, the, how that translates over to the folks that came over and yeah, the, the episode that they mentioned rice in the Carolinas and mentioned yeah. in New York, like it really covered all the bases and showed how kind of how black cooking and black cuisine has really informed all aspects of what we call American food. You know, like it, it, there's really no piece of it that doesn't have some kind of roots in, in, in history to black culture. So it's, yeah. it's yeah. And so, you know, for me, I, I've been to West Africa. And so when I, and I, there was so much I could that hit home with me watching that because I'm like, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember, I remember that. I remember that. So it's just, um, it's just, it's just really well done too. Like Han said, uh, there's so many different areas, how they care, the, they cover the Carolinas, they cover New York, they cover uh, the South or Texas. And then uh, they do a little bit in LA. So it's just they hit they hit the right chords and it's definitely uh, you don't want to miss it. It's something you definitely should. I think everyone should kind of watch. You know, got some good food in there. I'm guessing too. Some great food, man. Some great food. Uh, although that Hatchet Hall in LA is is a, could be a little bit expensive. Man, that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> man, listen, don't even get me started. Are uh, you right now? That's t- I know you out here spending thirty dollars for avocado toast. I know dang well you you need to drive your butt to LA and get in the seat and get your glove on. You know I'm down. You know I know you down. Oh, you I know you down. You proven <laughs> the budget is up. You proved the budget is out the window. <laughs> yeah, we may, with, we may have cooking shows though. You need like that Wonka vision. I want to be able to reach in there and grab what they're cooking because man, just watching that is almost torture. Yeah. Oh yeah, and some of the presentations here are, you know, are, are pretty good. Like, uh, yeah, like that fried fish, that? that fried fish in that West Africa is just like the whole whole fried fish is like a sweet spot for me because that's like what that was probably one of my favorite foods. Like a lot of little kids, like my favorite food is pizza. I mean, I love pizza too, but a whole fried fish was probably like my number one food for a long time in my life. And seeing how they prepared it, how it was just perfect and still more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think also there's a piece, too, of like, I mean, we're so living in the West, right? We're so disconnected from like our source of, of food, right? So we just go, we would just roll, you know, get in the car, roll over to the grocery store, pick it out, eat it or bring it home, throw it on the grill, cook it and eat it. Like, There's like a real disconnect. And one thing I do appreciate about a lot of cultures is that whole piece of really, if you're fishing for your fish, if you're actually raising your animal that you would eventually would have to sacrifice to eat, there's a deeper appreciation. And I think that is really missed in a lot of places um, in our current culture. And that's why it's so good to see, like there's an episode where he goes to Texas and I'm not trying to give away a whole lot, but they use every part of the animal 
and they make stew and they do different things with it. And, and it's a, out of appreciation of the animal uh, where we're so disconnected from that. And, and, and um, I think the show does a great job at highlighting that, like, like what you're saying, they're catching the whole front, the whole fish, uh, eating everything of the fish. And this is true appreciation of, of, of the animal and what the sacrifices that they made for us to, to, to feel our own self. So I, I think the show does a great job at that. And we got to just be a little bit more mindful of that, you know? That's the truth, Keel. That is the truth. We are way too disconnected from the food that we eat. Yeah, you know? I'll never forget. I went on a fishing trip with some friends and, you know, went on a boat, did all, got all this fish. I mean, I'm bad on those trips anyway because I get seasick a lot. So half the time I'll just laid over. But but the guys caught a bunch of fish and we were excited to eat them. So on the way back, as we're, we're sailing back in, the guy's like, the, the captain of the boat's like, oh, you want me to help you fillet the fish? And we're all like, oh, sure. That sounds like a good idea. So he would just cut the fillets on each side and throw the rest of the fish over the boat in the water. So I guess the other fish eat the, you know, whatever. But I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I literally was like, I mean, I was half of me was just seasick, like grateful to have food because I didn't catch anything. But the other part of me was like, what the, I mean, who's going to eat that? Fish yeah. stock. Fish stock. The cheek yeah. meat. The top, yeah. of the, head, the top of the head meat over there, st- everything, the, 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 the part near the stomach, everything was gone. He yeah. was throw, throwing it over the boat. I thought he would at least put it aside in a separate bag or something. But I was like, man, I was not, not happy at that. That was, yeah, that was a mess. But Seasick and wasting good food. Yeah, I was like, that, <laughs> this was not worth it. I wish I had not seen that. But yeah, yeah. so. It's true, man. That's the piece. That's why, you know, when you go to some of these uh, taquerias and you see the cachete and they see the lingua and you see the, you know, the cabeza and all that, you're like, okay, I see you, man. Mm-hmm. I, and I appreciate yeah. you for that, you know? Damn, man, damn lingua's that. delicious. Yeah. Just gotta say the, it. The plus, you know, the all that. Cheek, the eyeball, the, little, the eyeball has this bite to it that you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe was, you wouldn't think was good, but that's pretty tasty. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get over a little bit of something before I meet an eyeball. That's, that's a tough one. Hey, listen, if you're hey, listen, Z, if you're eating peppers out of people's pocket in the in the bar, dude, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about no eyeball right now, dude. <laughs> uh, you do, yeah, you know that was late in the night. <laughs> yeah, so so we'll take you out for a couple of drinks. Then we'll see. We, yeah, exactly. We'll go to Lily's. We'll go to Lily's after that. We'll hit up Lily's. <laughs> All right. Lily's got eyeball tacos. They did before. I hope they still do. But yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but great, great choices all around. It, yeah. always, it always circles back to food. Um, but uh, Z, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, it's been an honor to have you, and and great, great pleasure to learn more about you and IARP and grants and all that stuff that you you handle here at the school. Um, any last words, plugs, anything before we go? Um, oh, just a big thank you to you all for having me on. It's been a good time. Um, I mean, we got, it's always an exciting time at SPCC, but we've got some really good years ahead of us. I think we're moving into, uh, you know, we've got a lot of good people and we're moving into a very good planning phase, which I think is really going to help us figure out how we're allocating our resources, make that transparent and really move us into that kind of making sure one semester is just a little bit more badass than the semester before it. So thank you all for having me on. And, and that's the key. Just like, you know, sports teams, you don't root for the laundry institutions. You don't just root for the buildings. You know, it's all about the people. And that uh, one of the reasons we do this show is to highlight the great people we have working here at SBCC and how we're all working together and how we're, we're I mean, we're, we're all we're all about it. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to say one thing. I think I'm going to 
probably ruffle some people's feathers, but I really appreciate you, Z, for giving that analogy, just making one, uh, taking one semester at a time and constantly or continually trying to move the benchmark for each entire semester. It reminded me of uh, football, you know, and why I like football more than soccer, because football, it's just get the first down. You got just get the first down, just get the first down. Um, until next thing you know, you find yourself in the end zone or in the red zone uh, with the opportunity to score where soccer, you're just, just getting in the net. You're just running around here aimlessly. So, uh, you know, no disrespect to my soccer fans out there, but I do appreciate that. Just each semester, we got to continuously try to get a little bit better than that we were the semester before. And I uh, appreciate you for saying that. And uh, yeah, I like football better than soccer. <laughs> don't worry rugby's better than both of them <laughs> I, I, I like learn, rugby too yeah i didn't learn a lot about rugby to one of my uh, when i was in college one of the, my my dorm mates was on the rugby club or the drinking team with a rugby problem as he called it but uh, <laughs> uh but yeah so i actually went to a game or went to see the, them scrimmage and play and oh my god it's so intense yeah super a, intense yeah and 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 i actually tried to play with them for a little while and i lasted maybe about 10 15 minutes where i was like man we're we're headbutting way too much here. Like I, we're just like knock knocking heads way too often for my own good. I got to get out of here. But yeah, a, a great a great it's game. A good sport makes yeah. you think while you're getting beat up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, so yes, so so th- thank you for thank you again Z for coming on. It's an honor to have you, and uh, thank you Akil as always for likewise uh, likewise. Thank you too, huh? Yep. And thanks so, to the listeners for tuning in. Absolutely. So until next time, we'll we'll see you around. This was this was uh Vaqueta Voices. Take care, y'all.